Yo, and we're live on the Beat People podcast, uh, episode 84. And we have Kim Bjorn here with Books Publishing. Uh, some of you all may know him from uh, books that he's published, Patch and Tweak, and uh, a few others. The latest one is Synth Gems. Uh, and so, yo, Ken, you there? Where you at, man? Yep. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> no doubt. So, yo, we're going to get started and let's do it. Hey, hey. Welcome, Kim. Thanks. We got Ken and we got Neil, Scent Dog. Welcome to the show, Scent Dog. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Flux Pierce, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing all right. I'm probably going to get beat up because I haven't left the studio like at all. And, you know, today's today's date day with the wife. So I got to go do something after this, but I don't know what. Cheers to the coffee then. You need cold brew. <clears throat> On date day. So you don't go to sleep. Uh, no, nah, I don't think I'll be sleeping, but I'll, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to a melting pot. I have a feeling that that's what we're doing tonight, but. We'll, we'll see. Oh, one of those places where you dip stuff in cheese? Literally, I've never been there before, so I don't know <laughs> anything about it. <laughs> so, yo, Kim is here. I'll put these up in the... I, I don't have uh, all of the, the books, but I got Patch and Tweak, Petal Crush. Wait, there's Patch and Tweak with Moog, right? Yeah, then there's Synth Gems, which is the latest. So... Ken, which one do you have? That's the one I don't have. That's the one Ken can show it, I, I think. But that's yeah. the first one. Push turn move. Oh, it's this one. Yeah, push yep. turn move. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. <clears throat> so that was your first book. And and you know what? As a matter of fact, I invited Scent Dog on because you know I run uh, Mod Bap Modular. What's that? And Scent Dog <laughs> does all my manuals and he does a ton of manuals and and uh technical books and references for like just about everything digitone latest's octatrack and stuff so I, I figured it'd be cool to have him on here as well <clears throat> to join the conversation um but kim for those that don't know tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know what you do and how you got started Thanks. I'll try to keep it short, Corey. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm from Denmark. That's that's the awkward accent. That's why you'll hear that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I guess I got started as everyone else, uh, very young, uh, playing piano, got into an organ, uh, four-track uh, recorder, you know, all that stuff, uh, flipping tape. Um, and then I'm, I'm kind of a, what do you call it, a child of the 80s. You know, I was a teenager in the early 80s. So I was actually revisiting some of the music I listened to just before this show, and I got really nostalgic. Uh, all that synth stuff that came out at that time and MTV, that was kind of the new, the new sounds we heard. So that I was very inspired by that. Uh, so I've, I very quickly abandoned the piano <laughs> and my cigar smoking piano teacher, though she was, she was very kind. Um, so I, I figured I um, had to do, to make a living at some point. And I actually became a father in a very young age at uh, around 20, 21. And, uh, so I had to make a living. So. And I found out I had this, uh, what can you say, talent for, for making drawings and, and designing stuff. 
And so that became my path, but I always played music on the side, played in, in bands and stuff, uh, played my fair share of, of Doors and Beatles numbers <laughs> for tracks <laughs> and songs. Um, and um, so and my first synth was actually the Casio C set uh, 5000, which I actually scored a 20 minute movie on uh, back in the day. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's always, you know, been part of my journey, playing music and, and following along with all that stuff. And some of the, the stuff we got really uh, into when I was a kid was also uh, the stuff that came out of Chicago and New York in the 1982, 83, 84. Uh, we had a Danish DJ, actually also called Kim. Um, and he played shows and music from, from those uh, areas. And that was kind of, wow, this is, this is cool. What is this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that made me go the synth route very fast, um, so to speak. So Dope. when I became a designer, I also made books. That was part of my job when I became a professor at some point or a teacher. It was simply part of the job also uh, documenting your research and your findings uh, in, in books um, or in, in papers. But uh, I started writing my first book when I was like 20. Four, I think. Uh, so, so I had like seven books before Push Turn Move, which which was my first. Wow, really? In this, yeah, uh, but they were in Danish and they were about design, mm-hmm. uh, visual design, web design, interaction design. Um, and so, Push Turn Move was like this. I could finally merge my two giant passions, you know, design and music, and 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 answer that big question I had, you know, why do instruments, electronic instruments, actually look the way they do? Why do they do they have these features? Why are they laid out on the front panels the way they are? Um, that to me was an interesting question, at least, and it, it it's uh, it apparently it was a, an interesting question to a lot of other people too. So that's mm-hmm. kind of when it took off in October two thousand seventeen, when it came out. That's the that's the short story. <laughs> no doubt. That's interesting that you had several books before, uh, Patch and Tweak. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, nice. So let me ask you though. Uh, well, one first, I want to say I'm I'm from Chicago. I feel like I say that a lot, but it's okay. That's that's hometown. So I always love to hear the reach that the the music that the electronic music and house music that comes from Chicago and Detroit. Like when I hear of the reach that it had, even though you know that innately now you know it's worldwide, but it's cool mm. to think that in the 80s when we were just at home and kind of, you know, being kids at home, that this music that we thought was just kind of local was traveling all across the world and influencing so many things that we all do, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you though, when it comes to books, and uh, I mean, Synth Dog and Kim, maybe both of you all might want to chime in. The the idea of sitting and writing a book sounds like such a daunting task, and I feel like Ken and I, our attention span. <laughs> this is- you are speaking my mind right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> the the idea of sitting down and writing a book, how do you get there? Like, what's it? The, the first time you said, I'm going to write this thing, this collection of whatever it is. Like, how do you even approach something like that? I don't know, Neil, if you want to start. Uh, yeah, I can. I can. 
I can try to answer that one. I think <laughs> it's a difficult question. I think, I think first, first off, I think you've got to be a bit of a special character because I, I think there is times when it can be a little bit uh, mundane and boring. Um, but I think plowing through it and being tenacious helps. I think you've, I think determination is is probably a um, a good uh, description of what you need. Um, but I think the other thing is is a book's like one of these things where it's not like making an LP where you can decide halfway through, oh, it's now going to be an EP because I've not got enough songs or it's now going to be a single because I, it's not going to make an EP. Mm-hmm. When you write a Uh-oh. Oh, this book, it's not like you can't just stop after one chapter. So I think the um, I think you've got to know what you're embarking on when you start. Um, you've got to have a vision of what you want to achieve. Um, be tenacious and you know I think I think the passion of what you want to do is what drives you through it I think that just like Kim I think the you know attaching the um, I guess the graphic side and the artistic side and the creative side together with the musical side um, is what makes it interesting and my background's a little bit uh, slightly different to Kim's in that I've got an engineering background Mm-hmm. which meant that my angle uh, were coming at it from the engineering side. So, um, you know, so the technology is what caught my attention and what what really pulled me more to writing the books than the musical side of it, the technology um, of, uh, you know, how people use stuff. I know that Kim said, you know, the question of why does it look like what it is? My question were really, you know, how does people use this? Uh, and that's where the synth dog uh, kind of uh, ethos came from, from that angle. I, I can totally, you know, recognize what you're saying about that. I actually, if I had not become a designer or a musician, I would have become an electric mechanical engineer because that was the path I was going down. Also, I, uh, soldering and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I've always been taking things apart to great regret from my parents. <laughs> so that's what I enjoyed. And um I'm taking apart my brother's watches and him getting so upset with me because I can't oh my God. Get you know watch again, but <laughs> yeah, that's tiny stuff all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Um but I think yeah the persistence is one thing, but also focus. You really need to have focus. I I have had my share of, I don't know what you call it, gallons of coffee through my life. But, and I've, I recently kind of reflected upon this thing because I've started out early on with my first books working in, in the evening, in the night, because I had small kids. And I also did in, informational graphics when I was uh, a student uh, to, to make a living also. You know, you have to make a living somehow. So I had this, um, how can you say, this way of explaining things. I wanted to condense the knowledge I got and and, and pass it on in, in a visual way. I think that's really also what Neil is doing with his great manuals. Um, I could definitely have used the, the Octatrack one when I had the Octatrack back in the day. <laughs> but um, so, so I think, but also, yeah, you have to be a little bit weird. Um, I recently... Uh, finished a project where I was literally not outside this room, you know, for a week, I think, maybe to, you know, the kitchen or something. But you have to sometimes just say, okay, I'm sitting down, I'm going to do this, and and then just do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference that uh, also when people are finishing up albums, etc. 
I guess that's that's usually the hardest time. It's always great to begin something, right? It's all new and oh, this looks cool, and, and then you come to the the middle part and the ending. That's that might be the, right. the difficult. Wrapping it all up is always the the tough part. Wrapping it all yeah. up to a nice little neat bowl. And two, so I, I can tell you just from projects that I've done personally, whether it's music or whether it's uh, designing and bringing a module to market, um, you know, the end part, sometimes you have to be able to know not to get lost in the sauce, where you have to know when the end is or how to mm. bring it to an end or else things will creep, 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 and creep. And next thing you know, you know, all this time is bad. You haven't gotten done with, do you find that you, you have that same sort of situation with a book or do you kind of go into it with like, I have, these are the chapters mapped out and this is what I'm going to do. I, I would imagine that sometimes it would get voluminous and maybe go outside of the scope of or whatever it might be. Yeah, just imagine something like patch and tweak with over like 700 modules and, you know, how are you going to approach this? But uh, from my background, being a designer, I always actually uh, design the books first, so to speak. So to say, like, let's say the chapter about envelopes, how many pages is that going to be? You know, can we explain it in this amount of space? Uh, and I kind of, you know, you have this visualization. It starts in your head, as Neil also said. Um, so I kind of plan that out and, and, and we have a target of a certain amount of pages uh, and we end up in that area, you know. Um, so, it, so it is very structured. I, I love um, Google Sheets yeah. <laughs> uh, where I plan a lot of the stuff. Um, and also, um, yeah, what can you say? I think the, when you, I had an, an old uh, teacher who said, actually, it's not, it doesn't have to be art, it has to be finished. But mm -hmm. actually, I recently got that flipped around by a great artist I interviewed for an upcoming book who said the art is actually in finishing things. And that's so true, I guess, for whether you're making modules, music, books, or whatever. You know, if it's not finished, it's not going to be there for people to enjoy it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So your your first book was or Neil, but did you want to? Uh... No, I was just I, I was just going to say I you know I fully concur with what Kim's saying. I think that you know I think on the synth dog side, I think it's a little bit more. Yeah, I start with the reverse engineering of the the equipment and try to figure it out back to front, if you know what I mean. How if this is new to me, how am I going to use it, and then make notes from that. And then it only starts coming into a structure of probably a third of the way through from my perspective, because I, I don't know what hidden gems I'm going to find um, until I've kind of reversed and engineered something. But exactly on the topic of, um, you know, the, the um, you know, a good artist knows when a, a painting's finished rather than, and, and we have this discussion, uh, you know, Corey on some of the topics about the Christmas tree concept. Of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you, want, yeah. do you want a Christmas tree or do you want the balls on it or do you want the tinsel or do you want a star or do you want to, and you know, before you know it, you've got something that's not really what's specified or what, what really the scope mm -hmm. is. So I think the discipline is, uh, it's part of the creativity. Interestingly enough, you've got to be disciplined to be creative. I think in, in this, in, in the writing side, from my perspective, and I guess, him with the with the page limitation as well and setting mm. those targets. I think you have to be. You've got to be strict. I think on some of the editing choices. 
yeah definitely you have to cut i don't think people will believe the amount of words or choices you know we've cut out you know stuff we've I think that's, that's some, someone also once said that design is not what you put on the page, but actually what you take away. And I think that's also a good interface design. I, I think Ken uh, probably recognizes that also. Um, you know, the hydrosense is a great example. And, and a lot of things we interact with, the more choices we have, the more, you know, confused we can get. So I think it's really about if you want to get something through to the user, end user, or the musician, reader, you have to really condense things and, and you know, arrange them in, in a good way for people mm -hmm. to get an overview. So, no yeah. doubt. You know, something, Kim, you and I talked before about uh, uh, just this sort of stuff, books and manuals mm. and, and all this stuff. And you gave me some really good advice about, uh, you know, just manuals and, and stuff like that. So. I appreciate that. But one of the things I took away was the layout and little things that make a difference, color coding and and, mm. and uh, being consistent and sort of a theme and a theory. And I don't want to get too, um, <clears throat> too necessarily too deep in it, but I think like some of these things with the, with the layout just makes sense. How you yeah. approach it? Hold on. Let me see. Someone was just saying that they love this, this book, in the, I think that yeah. was uh, Why Not? Yeah. Pass and Tweak with Moog, yeah. Yeah, he was saying Why Not is a regular uh, of the show. And so this cool. whole way that, you know, you just kind of have yeah. things laid out and it calls out different things and, you know, just makes it really understandable and then just fun to, to walk through. Makes mm. it, and, and which is the same thing that I like about um simp dog how you do your manuals is because you break it down like those these types of books and writings have to be sort of things broken down to morsels and bits makes it easier to understand and i think that you know that's done pretty well here so i want to look at uh a couple of your books kim yeah but was this the patch and tweak was the first one uh push turn move was the first one this was the second one um so i guess it. if you scroll upwards you'll you'll get to it it's uh yeah there we go okay so that was the first one how'd that come yeah. about <clears throat> well that that was basically my curiosity of you know I've, I've been going around these instruments and playing with some of them uh for quite some years um and so i think the first idea for push turn move was like seven years before it actually came out like wow. in 2010 and that's actually when I went, uh, when I met Mike, my editor, the first time I went to Arizona and played, uh, was a different skies, uh, festival. We, we played for a week and made a concert at the end in, in the middle of the desert. I've never been in a place they had scorpions, you know, <laughs> so that was quite an experience. And, um, at that time I used the, uh, Picasso audio cubes. They, they had this sensing, uh, of the distance of your hands and, um, I just love different kinds of, I still do different kinds of interfaces, different, mm -hmm. different ways of interacting with music. So I set out to kind of, uh, make, uh, try to create an overview of all this, you know, the different kinds of instruments, the different kinds of interfaces, the things that make them uh, different and common, and also talk to the makers of some of these, uh, 
different instruments and the users of them also. So that, that's how it came about. And, and uh, then uh, we did a Kickstarter uh, campaign and we got like, was it like 1500 people or so? I don't remember. And that was great. And also uh, Jean-Michel Chah agreed to, to write the foreword, which was like a childhood dream for me <laughs> coming through. And I had, uh, I found out I had actually a friend and a previous coworker who, who did his website and stuff. And so I got those famous 15 minutes with, with Jean-Michel and, and showed him, you know, I, you know, I had to put together some stuff because the idea wasn't really in my, only in my head at that time. So I had like a week to get uh, the stuff together and present it. And, and um, yeah, and I worked day and night. And uh, I remember actually, I, I, you know, you fake it till you make it, right? So I actually uh, printed out the cover, a version of the cover and put it on another, glued it to another book that had the same kind of proportions. And so we used that for a photo for the Kickstarter campaign and, and to show also the physical, you know, appearance of the book. Um, and I think when, when the, the Kickstarter campaign went so well and we had the, the, the Facebook, you know, um, attention we got, um, I think that that's when it dawned on me that, wow, I'm not the only one <laughs> thinking this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. And, but when I wrote uh, Push, Turn, Move, even when I was doing it, I was, I had, you know, you, you sometimes can, you can get writer's block also if you're a musician, right? So I sometimes walked around myself and said, oh my God, this is not, this is crazy. This is not a good idea, you know, and all that stuff. You, you get this doubt and you, you go back and forth. And, um, but fortunately it, it came out well and I, I'm, re I'm still really happy about it, but I think it's the book that is least understood by people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the pageant tweak was really when, when, um, uh, people discover that here's something it's more like, what can you say? It's, it's more understandable. It's more easy to understand. This is about modular. Where, okay. where push turn move was a little bit more broad maybe and more maybe mm. design centered um i but find it, was, it i find yeah. it super useful though because um i wanted cool. to show this uh i don't know how well you'll be able to see it ah um, yeah <laughs> if Corey, if you want to <laughs> make that is. like a main screen um stuff like this is is super interesting and if you're into the gear this you know, for, for those that maybe don't get a look behind the scenes, this is, you know, it's showing, you know, from an initial design idea, progressing on through to a final product and, you know, how to, how to actually create a product. And then on top of that, there's sections on, on everything from how to group knobs together and, um, you know, what are some good design ideas like, uh, contrast and, um, you know, just being able to focus one's eyes or even ergonomic layouts, that sort of thing. So in my opinion, for, for the people that want to understand, have a better idea of like how a product comes to be, this is super valuable. I mean, it's, it's got some great interviews in there too. That'll kind of really help you better understand the mindset of someone putting together a product, you know? I think yeah. the I think the other thing as well is that um, just trying to resonate with why not's comments as well. I really have my Kimau. You've kind of turned a great deal of content that's useful into something that looks and feels fantastic, mm -hmm. and it's amazing that it's it's. I, I when I try to do this kind of um, comparison in my own head, not for any other reasons, 
with music and kind of books it's a bit like the you know it's like coming back to vinyl there's still a demand for people to have the hardback paper copy physical thing in their hands mm. something that can feel something can pick up for five minutes and then put back down again and you know a lot of the synth dog stuff it's pdf and we're looking at whether we're going to you know do it on a full print and go out there and there's a lot of complications you've been through that journey of course a million times but I do really admire the, you know, the design. And I think that is, that for me is kind of fantastic. It's something that I really admire. And, uh, you know, I think that when you see it in a physical form, it's a completely different animal to, um, to, to anything that you read on the screen or a tablet or whatever, even if it's the same content. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and science shows you, you actually learn better. Uh, if you have, you know, physical contact with the stuff you're actually mm. getting information from. Uh, so if you have your finger on the page, you actually somehow mm. understand stuff more or better. Um, mm. But it is also, I think that we like to say, when people ask, people have asked, you know, why are not doing PDFs of these books? Uh, but I think it's the same with hardware. As you say, also, you have that tactile um, thing to it and that feeling and I like to make things that people are also proud to own and, and cherish. And actually, yeah. I think um, it was uh, the synth designer, Axel Hartmann, said already when I uh, interviewed him back in Pushchun Move, he said that the great thing about a hardware synth is actually that it's, though it's turned off, it's still there to remind you mm. that you can make music. I think that's mm. such a great statement because mm. when you close down your computer, it's like it's all gone. <laughs> that's yeah. just the computer. So, um, that's so you're probably like. getting all the questions about why aren't you doing a PDF, and I'm getting all the questions about why we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, we, we should talk. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you have such great the possibilities of printing nowadays, also doing print on demand. Uh, but I think also now we are obviously also seeing like we have the prices are, are, are getting higher all over the world with different stuff. It's the same with paper yeah. now yeah. and paper shortage, actually, and they use the better paper they are actually now used for for um, uh, cardboard boxes so that's kind of a it's it's not it's not going to go on forever i think uh somehow but um we try to use sustainable sources uh, like uh, tree uh, paper from woods that uh, are going to be replanted or it's partly also recycled uh, paper um, that's important to me as i have three daughters <laughs> They have to inherit the world too. <laughs> inherit the world, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that there's this common thread of sort of design and look and aesthetic and that sort of thing. And it's and it's you know the fact that you have an appreciation for that, but you're also writing about that <laughs> in the actual actual book and stuff. What's kind of the common thread that you? Uh, as you were interviewing people for push term move and and those sort of things to talk about interface design and all, what's some of the, some of the common threads that you think kind of runs through for most of the folks that you interview? Like a common theme, what they in, in their approach maybe or yeah, like almost like you know you figure this person thinks this one mm -hmm. thing is important, you find out oh those other three people said something very similar to that about what's important about the whole interface design thing what do you think those things are uh one of the things is uh, definitely that um that it should appeal to you 
you know that it, it's important that that the instrument uh, has something that is appealing to you uh, and and whether that is you know that it's a rounded corners uh, or that it's uh, the soft buttons or the buttons click whatever it is it's and I see it again and again people see something we see all these video reviews today also and you mm -hmm. see something you hear it, it, it but the workflow and when you get you know down with it and it's like wow it's just i'm not dealing with it or whatever they say it's yeah. always that when you get it in your hands it's it's different um so it's it's that tactile connection and that uh closeness to to actually making the music i think that's actually why the ipad went so uh, uh became so popular in terms of you know for musicians because you you kind of you can touch the envelopes or whatever it is or draw your waveforms with your finger. Uh, though it's a different tactile uh, sensation, obviously, but uh, you have this close connection to to the stuff you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's the same with finger drumming on, a, on an MPC uh, and then drumming with sticks. There's a, there's a difference to it. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you can, uh, uh, sequencing your beats, it's, it's three very different ways of, of producing grooves uh, and beats. So, so for a lot of those I talked to, it was really the that uh, the, the the personal appeal and the tactile sensation or whatever you could say, um, which is actually interesting when you consider something like the the theremin, which you don't touch. <laughs> you don't touch. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, then you you sometimes it's I don't know. For me, it's also I guess for a lot of musicians, obviously it's the sound or the the features what can you get out of this instrument mm -hmm. but i think an interesting the interview with larry heard in the in push to move was he said something uh about i think it was about the 808 or whatever uh, that you know it's that's what we had and we have had to get the best out of it and mm -hmm. i think that's when i revisited some of these old uh, instruments and, and music and also in synth gems the forward is by vince clark uh, he Talks about he used the CZ 101 also at the Casio, actually the little brother for for the CZ 5000. I guess mm -hmm. Ken has it. He's reaching out for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's the running joke with uh, ever since we started doing this these podcasts together. Ken almost always has whatever we're talking about underneath the table. That's so cool. Well, my maybe ADD should... doesn't let me not grab it. <laughs> so what about this one, uh, Ken? No, I don't I don't have a lemon drop yet. And uh they, they're very interesting looking to me. Uh there's so, the lemon so drop cool. and the yeah. red one. I forget what the red one's called. Yeah, me too. This was the interesting one for me at least. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's, um, but you know, Vince Clark he used the the CZ one one on a lot of erasure tracks, and and you know, today you you wouldn't you know maybe not sit down with it and say oh, I'm gonna make some cool music with this one, uh, or maybe you would if it's the only thing you have. So we mm -hmm. we are really spoiled today also, and I think the the limitation if you limit yourself in terms of instruments, that's gonna ben you're gonna benefit from that creatively, I think. Um, but I guess it's different from person to person. Obviously. Yeah, you know what? I got to say, I mean, even though I'm a person that has a lot of electronic instruments, the fact of the matter is it's almost like for me, I know for a fact that when I limit myself, I create better. Mm -hmm. So 
for me, having all of these instruments is more like uh, Ken and I have talked about it being like a box of 128 crayons. You're really not going to just dump all of the crayons on the table and, and talk about, you know what I mean? You, you yeah. all need the purple and you take the purple out. Or maybe you take the purple, red, white, and whatever it is. <laughs> you do what you're doing. It's kind, of, it's kind of like creating something with a colorway. It's like you really want to stick to, okay, well, like, these are the colors that I'm going to make something with. And this mm. is what it's going to be. So, like, when, yeah, when I'm creating, it's like, usually I'll pick, like, maybe three pieces, three to four pieces of gear tops. And I'm yeah. like, that's that's all I really need to do what I'm going to do. And this is what the flavor is going to be, you know, because if you yeah, just start dumping every type of spice into into whatever you're cooking, you know, mm -hmm. it ain't going to taste great. You know, yeah, exactly. you know that, that's what I, I did um, when I got the force. I also got the grandmother at the same time. And so and I think I had just gotten a reverb pedal and like I really just sat with that reverb pedal the grandmother and the force and i created a whole album's worth of work and even when i listen to it i'm like that sounds consistent not that it sounds the same but it's like it's a it's a vibe it's a flavor that body of work just kind of has a thing together that it, it just kind of works out with so i mean and and talking about casio keyboards i remember um my guy uh uh grew up uh call him trust that's my best friend he's basically like a brother but he taught me how to use the mpc um back in the day and we didn't have i certainly didn't have any equipment and he had a couple of things you know he's a dj so he had turntables but he had an mpc and he had had this old casio keyboard from before it was just kind of when casio keyboards were being given to folks for christmas like garbage pill mm. garbage patch kids or something you know like what sk1 <laughs> Yeah, SK-1, he had that joint, and he would literally oh. just sample some of the sounds into the MPC and make, and you would never, like, when we would listen to it, we'd be like, where'd you get this? And he'd be like, I sampled that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah, sometimes, like, minimal hmm. setup and limiting yourself, and even if you, creativity is creativity, the things don't make the creativity, you know what hmm. I mean? So it's, it's actually it's it's a fun, I, I was just recalling in my um, in my mind when I first came across my the first synthesizer were an SH one hundred and one, and we had this kind of garage band, and we used to do like clash. It were in the punk era, so we did like clash stuff. So we had a, a drummer that could only make it to half of the um, rehearsals, and we had um, you know a couple of guitarists and all this kind of stuff. We got an SH one hundred and one, and we got a drum machine, and the drum machine were a realistic drum machine tandy um and it weren't a drum machine that you programmed it had just got like seven buttons you pressed a button and then you just got a slider for the tempo and i can remember firstly on the synth there were no manuals so we couldn't i couldn't figure out the bit in between the old stuff about envelopes and all you know you know changing stuff just couldn't get my head around that at all and the drum but the drum machine were easy and and we we got some tunes made with this drum machine and the, and the drummer in the band were a rock drummer. And I can remember him coming to rehearsals one day and we said, right, we want this sound. And we pressed this button on this realistic drum machine and this dr rock drummer looked at us as if to say, this is not the band there. <laughs> it should really be. <laughs> and that was like, almost like a pivotal moment on me thinking, yeah, I think it's only me that's into the electronic, <laughs> the electronic music. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. That's, you know, well, you speaking of all these older um, 
you know, drum machines or synths or whatever. I, I mean, I think that's what's dope about what the two of you all do. Uh, illuminating the idea of why these things exist, how they work and making it easy because, you know, I can remember having a, a micro cord when it first came out and I don't remember having a manual and um, I don't think actually I know I didn't have a manual because I wanted the thing so bad it had just really come out and I was at Guitar Center and I was like, I want that thing. And they were like, that's the last one. I was like, right. Well, I want that thing. <laughs> they was like, we don't have a box for it. And I was like, we're going to keep doing this or what? And so anyway, I bought that and I took it home and I didn't know anything about synthesis, didn't know how to use the thing. And um, I wish I had access to books and, <laughs> and manuals like what you guys are doing, because it would have made life a lot easier. Um, hmm. But Tim, let me ask you this. I have this, uh, let's see, pull this up. So we had, you did this one with Chris Meyer and then you started collaborating with a couple of folks. How these collaborations come about? Uh, basically, me spending too much time on YouTube, I guess, uh, <laughs> discovering <laughs> who knew more about this than me. Uh, actually, the uh, the patent tweak came up while I was doing push to move. There's a, an interview with Tony um, Tony from uh, Make Noise, mm -hmm. uh, amongst others, and Blondo. so yeah, and um, it it was it appeared to me, and I was I was into modular at that point, but I only recently got into it. So uh, and I was like there's not really anything that I found useful uh, learning uh, about modular synthesis if I wanted to not watch 567 videos you know a day <laughs> so, right. a day uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, but but then that's what I actually did I think uh, and and then I stumbled upon Chris and uh, I simply wrote him an email and said you know I like your stuff you know and I didn't know much about Chris at that time I just this is this is the the kind of uh, way the way of teaching I want to you know uh, expand uh, in in a book or explore in a book, and so uh, we went a little back and forth and we finally met at Nam in uh, that must have been or finally yeah that was in eighteen actually so Push and Move came out in October seventeen and and Nam eighteen uh, Chris and I met. I was so sick. I, I got something, the Australian flu or whatever, and I barely stumbled down the stairs and we said hi. And, but uh, we had a great talk. And uh, Good we, to see you got sick at NAM? Yeah, yeah. On the way to NAM, on the plane. Way to NAM. Okay. So, because yeah. we typically call it NAM Thrax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, and it's like, but but uh, so the first two days of Nam was I was like I thought I was dying, <laughs> so that was kind of a bummer. But um, but uh, Chris is uh, such a, we had so much fun, but it was also obviously a lot of work. But the the good thing about Chris is obviously he's very structured, but also he had done books before, but uh, on software. Uh, some Adobe uh, presentation software. He worked uh, with video graphics in his, in a previous stage of his professional life. Uh, also, so um, that was you know that was just I think it was a great collaboration because Chris was like my older brother kind of thing, you know, modular brother, <laughs> you know, and and he knew the stuff I didn't know, and he knows a lot of stuff. He knows so a lot of know. stuff as well. Yeah, he knows stuff we don't even know that we don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, that's right. Um, 
and it it was just so great because I could I could take the approach of you know if I'm new to this I would ask these questions and Chris would come with his expertise and and uh, maybe too many details or whatever and we'd kind of find a middle ground to make it understandable for uh, uh, users of of all different levels and I think that's that's part of the the, the patchy tweak success I think. Mm -hmm. uh, that we kind of in each chapter kind of ramp up the complexity so you start with the the basic stuff and then it gets more and more uh, complex um, so yeah it, it was a great collaboration how and and so then to the pedal crush you did that with yeah harper was it kind of a similar situation a similar thing yeah uh scott is a lovely guy also and and uh, it's very intense when we work on these things obviously obviously it's it's online we work together uh, so but uh it uh, it's it's also you know because of his he had the knobs channel he still has uh, uh where he do all those he did all those uh, pedal demos at that point um and uh so i figured you know that i also like that way of uh, presenting and explaining how the pedals worked. It was, to me, it was very inspiring. And um, that was kind of the next, I have, you know, I have, I think I have books in my head for the next 10 years lined up, you know, in my <laughs> head. So, so, but, and so that was the, that was the next step I wanted to take at that point. And I thought it was a kind of a logical step from the modular thing, because a lot of modular uh, users, they're into effects also, or synths and, you know, what can we attach with effects? So that book was meant as not just for guitarists. Uh, so that's why we have all sorts of musicians in the book, like someone playing the violin, viola, uh, harp, you know, beatboxing, all sorts of uh, musicians. Nice. And uh, yeah, so that that was, I, I don't know how many pills we have in that book, but they can be smaller <laughs> image wise. So we just, uh, but again, it was like patch and tweak. We try to, you know, show what's out there, um, that, uh, explain the different concepts, different types of effects, how they work, and then show some pedals that are kind of examples of that and maybe differ in different ways. So it was not to show that those are the only ones you can get but more that these are examples of, uh, of the concepts we're talking about mm -hmm. uh, and, and which we thought uh, were good examples. Um, nice. And so that was, uh, yeah. And obviously also I suddenly bought too many pedals. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, yeah. <laughs> yeah so. It justifies the write-off at this point. You're writing a book, you need that as research. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. That's one thing. The, thing. the thing about getting more and more pedals is you suddenly start finding you need more and more sockets. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You start building the pedal board and you realize this, you, you've run out of the connections. And then... <laughs> exactly. But I think that's, that's, that's again, one thing that, that Scott says in the, in our forward. And he says that if you just sit down with one pedal and, you know, you know, tweak, tweak it as much as you can get the most out of, of it, just spend maybe a week, a month, with just that pedal then you can really learn the ins and outs. And, and obviously today when we have pedals that are much more advanced than maybe previously, uh, it's the whole small computers, obviously. So uh, that's more, even more true now, I think. Um, that just you know, it's back interesting to the... too about, about pedals. And I think your rec has the same sort of thing too. I mean, they, they, you can see why they sort of relate, right? Like 
these little things you could put a bunch of them together and create your own sort of thing um mm. but what you said about how pedals can be more simple and then now they're a little more complex and and there's this idea of having a pedal that does one thing really well or however well it does it does one thing but now there's these things are becoming so much more advanced and fancy and stuff i have a nephew who uh taught himself how to play the guitar then he ended up going to an arts high school and now he's in a jazz band and last time i was in chicago he was playing at buddy guy's bar and like it was just nice. wild to see he taught himself how to do that and i was telling him because i like um uh chase bliss pedals and i mm. told him I was like yo you like these Chase Bliss pedals? These are dope. He was like, hey, hey. <laughs> he said, I think those are cool, but my buddy more or less likes Chase Bliss pedals. I like older, like vintage pedals that just do one thing and just stick hmm. one thing. So it's funny, it's like that. There's a different sort of mind state depending on what it is. Like some of the modern pedals are doing a lot of new, cool, dope stuff, but then you have some people that are minds just like, I wanted to do one thing, right? So it's, it's hmm. interesting. To kind of see it's interesting that. how the um you know you, you think about the pedals you think about the modular you think about the desktop how there's a lot of crossover coming yeah. on this stuff mm. you know, a lot of pedals have now become desktop pedals but still have the stomp switches on you know there's the zoya and the mod x and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then you know there's modules that you can put which we've done with performer you can put into a um, kind of a pod case and then yeah. it becomes yeah. almost a desktop effect and then yeah, it's, yep. it's interesting to see that journey that's unfolding between you know, like modular desktop pedals. It's true. Um, it's true. I kind of see it um, with uh, different effects. I mean, look at it like with the performer, it was one of those things where I was using a lot of performance effects and I just got to a point where I'm like, I want this in your rack. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. 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 And, and I know Ken has experienced the similar thing where he might have. Uh, a favorite filter from a favorite synth and eventually want that thing in your rack or you know or vice versa or vice versa yeah exactly yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that's i mean the idea of form factor becomes really important in in general and it's like you know that's getting back to like the push turn move and that sort of thing it's really interesting to see like all these different layouts and and perspective on what those layouts you know what the advantages are and disadvantages are that sort of thing and then you start thinking about like okay well uh there, there was a point a while ago where i i knew i wanted a really nice transistor ladder filter in my euro rack right and i had i think three or four in there at that point and i was like looking at them all like okay they're all basically the same design they're all basically using the moog ladder style filter but they're all laid out completely different and they all have like their own little quirk to them whatever some have a few more features some have less features um and some have big chunky knobs some have little tiny knobs and then it was up to me to decide okay not only do i want to listen to the sound of it but how do i feel about the user interface that sort of thing and how that all kind of interacts together because essentially it's the same product but it's done you know four different ways and then it's up to the user to say well, which which method speaks to you the most? Because I wasn't going to keep all four of them. I was, I I'd said no. I need to make more room for other crap. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think I think when you think about it from a marketing perspective, you know, people make decisions now because they're buying online. Um, far, there's far, far bigger weighted 
on the user interface and the look and feel than just the sound because it's not always easy to understand what the sound's like. You, you tend to get the the reputation and the recommendations, et cetera, around the sound because, you know, you'd have to go to a store to hear all this. But when people are buying online, the weighting on decision-making towards design and look and feel is significantly higher. I, if I can chip in, I think also it's about identity. Who are you as a musician? And how do you want, uh, how do you want to, you know, uh, be perceived when you perform you know mm -hmm. you have to do some choices to how how active are you going to be on stage for example um but i, I guess you all all you guys know do you remember when when electron came out with the uh, was it the octatrack or one of the other ones with this guy hector the videos with this very serious looking guy and i think it was a little bit before all these youtube reviews mm -hmm. you know became popular and it had such a strong identity. So you could, if you identified with that, it was really ironic, uh, really Swedish humor at its best, I think. Yeah. Uh, with with the mono machine and the the yeah early those things yeah the yeah and, and, and mono machine yeah and I think you lose a little bit of that identity today because you see when a product drops, you see like ten different reviews online from different reviewers who have their own style. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's both good and bad, but I think that's something to, to if you can see yourself with that product, you, you I mean, a lot of musicians can see themselves with this one. <laughs> you know, that's just people say that's a toy. It's yellow. It's small. My fingers are too big, and it probably sounds like you know whatever, but it actually sounds pretty. Oh, uh, but those great. things. That's what I actually sat down with Aaron. Um, yeah. The cool thing about being in California, in LA, you get a chance to, for those of us that are here, every now and then you may get a chance to have lunch. And, and so I had a uh, cool. got some lunch with Aaron a few weeks ago. We were talking about the lemon drop. And it's just like those things sound great. <laughs> like, and they look good. And, yeah. you know, this idea, I want to have him on the show here soon to talk about the, the lemon drop and the fireball. That's what they call the other one. Yeah. yeah. Um, That'd be great. Cause it's just dope design and it's cool how you took these little things and mm. made them sound great and, and choosing just the right amount of stuff to put in it, on it, <laughs> package it, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so, yo, I want to also mention this one, which is the newest, the latest and greatest. Now did this one was mm. written by Mike Metley Metley. Yeah. It was published by books. Yeah, we publish. Uh, this is Mike is uh, my editor in chief also, but uh, <laughs> I figured very early on that I wouldn't be the right one to write this book. Uh, to to tease him a bit, I wouldn't be old enough. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, so, but we also had uh, like a lot of editors on this one. We had uh, Mark Doty was helping us out. Gordon Reed. Uh, especially uh, uh, also again uh, Chris Meyer so we had a lot of people uh, helping out with fact checking also because we really wanted to do it as accurate as we could you know in, in terms of uh, telling the history of these uh, in a condensed way again and then show photos great big photos of since um, because yeah again that's you know if we can't all have a synth collection like that <laughs> yeah the, the layout uh, and the stuff of these pictures in it this is 
gorgeous, quite frankly. I mean, a lot of a lot of that stuff was done at a soon to be open to the public museum that is right up the way from me, uh, about an hour from my house, um, EMAP, and which mm. I always I always hesitate on how I pronounce it because of the way the letters are. Um, did I did I get it right that time? I'd say EMAP. Uh, EMAP. Something like yeah. that. They make it a little bit hard, but I tell you, I've been to a lot of different places with a lot of different collections, and that is by far like just the most mind blowing collection I've ever seen in person. I mean, it they have synths there that I've only heard about in legend, and then they have synths there that I haven't even heard the legend of. <laughs> like, I mean, I was just like thoroughly mind blown going through that place. So, and what's beautiful about the book is the book actually details a lot of those really interesting pieces that, you know, I mean, on your best day, you're not going to see that stuff in person. Like it's, it's just really cool synth history. Did they have a realistic drum machine? (laughs) Sorry? (laughs) I was just asking Ken if they had a realistic drum machine. You need to check next time you go. I, I would not be surprised at all. Like, I mean, the stuff that's in there and what's really cool is the people that run it are, are really cool. And I mean, they've got some, some really choice gear and I just kind of like, you mind if I plug that in and Hey, let's set it up. Like, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. An amazing place. This is actually, yeah, we work with EMEAP. Oh, uh, hey. oh, sorry. This is my fa- Sorry. I, I just yeah. got excited because of this. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, that's the one I played all my Beatles songs on. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, we we work uh, remotely with EMEAP and the photo team there, and I think they took around a thousand pictures, uh, which and we only used a fraction of those because I'm I'm very selective. But also, um, we I had to steer those guys around to get the right angles, etc. And I also uh, went to Switzerland. It was a bit tough because it was during the COVID lockdown, but there was a, there was just a, a space at some point where we could travel. And so I spent a week in Switzerland with the photographer Peter Ma, who also have taken back in the day a lot of photos for greatsynthesizers.com. And I remember I worked with Peter back in the day. And so we went to Centurama and SMEM in um, two places in Switzerland. And if you ever get the chance in Europe to get to Centurama, which is only open the first Saturday in the month, that's so far, um, you actually go walk around. A muse- uh, it's also a museum, and he has everything. And you can plug your headphones in, and you can play all the things that are on display. It's amazing, and they are well cared for, you know, and all that stuff. And also SMIM, that's a big warehouse. We have the story of all these three places in the book. We have articles in the back of the book um, for people to see also some of their collections. I mean, IMIAP, they have Keith Emerson's Moog and his organ, and they have a big mini Moog room. You can see the prototypes. It's There's a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, so it felt like, you know, you walk into the, the what did you say, the workshop of Santa Claus when you walk into these <laughs> collections is just like whoa you know the sad thing is i didn't get to play a lot of these since actually when i went to switzerland because we were so busy we worked you know i think maybe 13 hours a day or so uh, photographing this stuff uh, 
I know how to dust off uh, and clean a vintage synth now. <laughs> Let's just say that. And okay. also retouch a bit in, in Photoshop afterwards. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think there's over 500 photos in the book, as I recall. I'm not sure. Or maybe between three and 500, something like that. But we really selected the best uh, and the best angles we could. There's a lot, lot of the left-hand control sections of a lot of the synths. And it is since gems one because it really, uh, uh, really early in the process. right there. Yeah. <laughs> one is going to be there's going to be a two and or three. I've never even heard of this. Synth. Which one is that? This this is the oh the T eight yeah T eight. Mm -hmm. There there are some synths you wouldn't have heard about. Uh, maybe also the Lord synthesizer Skywave, uh, which is the hmm. an English uh, or British synth which was, it's an amazing history. And we actually got hold of the son whose father uh, designed the synth. And there's maybe only 10 in the world, we're not sure. Uh, and they had one at Synthorama. Uh, and oh. I, when I saw that, and when Neil was talking earlier on, you know, you, you plan for something and then sometimes, you know, things happen. And this was a lot of stuff happened while we did this book. I was discovering things where I said, "Oh, we we need to have this." So I had some discussions with Mike in the process, but um, but also it's a very you can say it's a very personal maybe or it's a very curated selection. It's not like this; these are the greatest or these are the most important. There are obviously some important ones. There are some you've never heard about. There's a little Casio's. Um, there's the RSF Cobol which uh, Vince used uh, on uh, when he performed with uh, Depeche Mode mm. because it had eight preset buttons and they had eight songs in their set. So he could dial in a sound for each of the songs mm -hmm. <laughs> and then press a button. So there's these little uh, stories here and there and um, personal accounts and also as uh, technical and factual information as we could put into the book. Uh, there's like 60, 65 cents. Obviously, we have some. We, we talk even about the Nord lead and uh, show the different versions also. Nice. So it goes up to around 2000. Um, yeah, it, there's good. so much to say about that book. <laughs> That's very cool. And you know, it's funny you say it goes up to about 2000. And crazy, like we're sitting here in 2022, and I, for some reason, there's a mental block about thinking of. 2000 as vintage or old, like, you know, or even 99, <laughs> like it, but we're literally 22 years in, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. You, you mentioned, you, you mentioned uh, museums and things. I visited the uh, factory records um, exhibition at science and industry museum in Manchester in the summer. And they got, um, they got um, Bernard Sumner from new orders uh synthesizer that he made from a um an electronics magazine weekly or monthly kind of instructions and they got the magazine in the museum that showed the instructions that he used to make this synthesizer oh. um, <laughs> and, and like, i was inter more interested in the magazine than the synthesizer at that point <laughs> in time, thinking did he really you know solder this resistor and was yeah. that the pyre synth or that's what i was thinking yeah Sorry, yeah. Pia synthesizers. They were they were um, DIY instruments that were pretty prevalent during the. I guess it would have been the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I'll have to find it. I can't remember the the name of the model, but yeah, definitely from a, an electronic magazine that he built this thing. 
I think I took some photographs, so I'll find them. I'll tell you what, from a nerd perspective, I'm so grateful that these books even exist, let alone actually having them. <laughs> so I think it's a, a pretty great cool. service to do for the community. Uh, another one that you've done, too, that I wanted to touch on, how did Patch and Tweak with Moog come about? Uh, yeah, how did it come about? It it actually also started when I did <laughs> Patch and Tweak because it appeared to me early on in that process also that some of the one of the great ways of learning modular synthesis is starting out with something more simple, <laughs> as probably many have experienced by now. Uh, so starting out with a semi-modular is a great way. And it came to be that that I went into some conversations around Moogfest, I think. Um, maybe that was 18 also, I'm not sure. Um, we're getting older. But uh, so we had some conversations and they had, the, I think at that point, the Subharmonicon was not out yet, but it was coming out. Um, and I remember seeing it at an early stage. It was really cool at that point. I said, wow. So, and I already had the grandmother uh, actually bought that in the UK at some point. Um, so I thought this could be a cool way of um, teaching people about synthesis. Uh, if you click these small arrows, Corey, you can actually, we can see, people can see some uh, spreads from the books also. Oh, nice. um, yeah, so it, it's kind of a, you could say it's kind of a middle way between the manual and uh, more, uh, how can you say, colorful instructions mm -hmm. and tips. It's it's meant to really explore the patches deeper. I had a lot of fun doing that book, uh, doing all those patches and giving them weird names. There's a lot of Easter eggs in there. <laughs> so, um, and that, you know, also the idea was also, as you see here, show some history of the, the Moksins through the, the, the times um, and have all these interviews with artists that use the Moog synthesizers, different kinds from back in the day to the, to the recent, most recent ones. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so I think it's, uh, people really seem to enjoy this book also. It's a, it's a lower price point than the other ones. It's uh, only around half the size, it's 200 pages. Um, but again, yeah, I really enjoyed doing the books and making the layouts and making it look appealing to people. We also, that's why we chose the more colorful and the more playful layout on, on the cover, uh, yeah. because it's, it's about fun, right? You know, it shouldn't be serious to make music. Maybe it is sometimes it could be, but it should also <laughs> be fun exploring these things. I think, yeah, no doubt. um, and the instruments themselves were colorful. They were just doing the, uh, the black versions uh of the uh, matriarch and the grandmother when we finished up the book uh, but i'm really happy we got the colorful versions in the book because they're more i think they're much more educational uh when you're first getting into this stuff um, without a doubt without a yeah. doubt yeah that's what's dope there's like the part reference part coffee table book you know what i mean it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah uh, it's a it's a cool point to to be in so you said you got books lined up for like the next 10 years probably in your mind. 
what do you think might come uh, next or what can we expect from? And am I even saying your publishing? How do you pronounce your publishing company name? Is it Books Publishing? Uh, Bukes. We say Bukes. You have to have that J in there. That's right. That's uh, what because that's yeah. right. The J is there. Okay. I've heard some people say Bukes, but it's it's Bukes. You're not stumbling over it. It's. Okay. <laughs> I know it's it's difficult Bukes. to say, but it's uh, the nice thing is that some people have started using it. You know, when is the next Buke coming out? Yeah, and uh, that's cool. I think uh, so. Uh, yeah, we have. I think this year we will see at least two releases from us. Uh, I've been busy and am busy, <laughs> and um, so a mud bad book. Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> so it's obviously it's a little bit hard for me to say the next two releases, but they will be revealed in what we are in March now. So in a few months, how do we get in March, by the way? But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Suddenly we're in March yeah. in 2022. Mm -hmm. So the next two months, uh, there will be a couple of announcements, I think. Um, I'm really excited about those one. I, I don't think people will expect those titles. Um, but also, I really want to go back to the where we started with Patch and Tweak and Pedal Crush and, and Push and Move. And maybe do a Kickstarter in, in 2023 and maybe do something that is a bit more beat oriented. Um, so you can probably guess what that could be. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, I would hope that when you do whatever that would be beat oriented, give me and Ken a call. <laughs> <laughs> I probably do that. But, you know, that that's probably already on my list, I think. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that I, I like to do. The the patch and tweak with series is obviously, as I call it, a series. So that's uh, what we're also hoping to continue. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we also now with with the recent book since gems, as you, because Mike wrote it, I'm trying to enter a phase where Bukes is not just me being the author, but actually, you know, have we have other people writing the books uh, because I think we can do so much more and. The way that people have welcomed our books and supported us, we're just a very small publisher still. Mm -hmm. um, though the books are available all over the world, um, but but it's a small operation still. So we're really grateful for that. And um, oh, we had the first sign up. Great. <laughs> for, for <Peter laughs> book. Um, yeah, and uh, actually, that's you know, uh, patch and tweak and pedal cross was also done with Kickstarters. And mm -hmm. I think that was a great way of doing it. But there, there are some tiles we really can't do that with. And also since gems, I really like that we just dropped it, you know. Here yeah. it is, you know. It was yeah. I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. And it was actually because we have a production, uh, we had a hole in our production schedule that suddenly appeared because of uh, different things. Um, I think you will also see that we are not just coming out with books by themselves. Uh, in the next few years. Uh, so that's going to be interesting, I think. Uh, and I can't say more than that. Uh, <laughs> though you can see that I really would like to say more about that. But yeah, uh, um, we don't want you to, to give away any any spoilers. No, secrets. Yeah. But you can start saving up now. I'd say <laughs> that. <laughs> I, I just want to say Corey's wrong. We do want spoilers. We're, we're, we're trying to call that. I don't know okay. what he's talking about, but <laughs> but I, I can tell you, I can tell you one thing. That is, the next books are going to be the same format, 
uh, as the ones you already have seen. You know, we're keeping that square format because I think that's that's now become our standard and these colorful approaches. And that's going to be more like the patent tweak with Moog, you know, doing a collaboration with a brand. That's really a cool thing, I think. So uh, that's one of the things fun. about like, uh, like I'm, I'm super into comic books. And when you get omnibus uh, for com mm. comic books, if if the publisher changes how the bookend looks, it drives yeah. everybody insane and they <laughs> exactly. just lose their mind. So it, it's nice yeah. to keep that that similar yeah. style. You've got to you've got to keep them because they've got to look all the same on the shelf when yeah. everybody yeah. comes back to it's, it's like the modules. They've got to exactly. That's the worst thing actually because uh, push turn move has a slightly smaller type size than the other ones. Mm -hmm. Slightly, it was too small, I think. And some I'm also getting older. But, but it uh, being the first, that, that puts it in that special place, just like exactly. something in Synth Gems. It's a special, hmm. yeah, yeah exactly. the first. Exactly. I think if you collect these books, you, you'll you see that there'll be, uh, there are, we update them also uh, slightly. If there's something that is out of production, it doesn't make sense to show that pedal or whatever it is. Uh, we try to see if we can, if we do a reprint, if we can adjust something. Uh, yes. So yeah, the this year at least two releases, hopefully three uh, cool releases, and also one of the things I want to work on. That's a, I can talk a little bit about that. It's a, very close to my heart and mind. Is a thing that will be more like a workbook for people, and also addressing how can you say the workflow, and the uh, actually the well-being of musicians. You know, it's been hard for a lot of people for artists uh, during these years with COVID. And I have a, a personal agenda in doing a book that will, will help, pe help people a bit more with, you know, getting on the good foot and, and maybe being productive and, and get some creative, you know, tips and tricks to, to get on with that stuff and, and keep them on track. So that, that's one thing I'm working a little bit on. And I'm saying this now also because I, I know that people might chip in with ideas and send me emails. So that, that would be cool. Uh, but it's a, it's a longer project, though I would have liked it to come out last year. But uh, that's not going to happen it's in the next few years. delayed and it's understandable in this, in this weird time we live in. So. Yeah, it is weird, especially in Europe right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. well. Hey, uh, Kim, I want to thank you for coming by. Neil, I want to thank you for stopping by and uh, uh, also sitting down and having a discussion with, with Kim. And um, Ken, never mind you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So hey, it's been a good conversation, Kim. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad we, we had talked about before having you on the show with time gets away and things cool. get away, but I'm glad we were able to kind of coordinate this and get you on. You make dope books, a lot of dope products. And Thanks so much. I think it's a, a great uh, service to the community and, and, you know, it's just dope stuff. Thank so, you so much. And thanks so much for, for the stuff you do and for having me on the show. I mean, you guys are doing awesome work too. And uh, okay. so I really appreciate that. It's just cause we're all nerds. We love to do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, with that, we want to say thanks to everybody. Be sure you subscribe and follow everybody and everything and uh, see you next time around. Thank Peace. You.